Welcome to the Energy Transition Podcast. My name is Ronan Kavanagh, Deputy Editor of EI New Energy, and I'm here today to discuss our recently released Energy Cost Report with its author, Energy Intelligence Senior Reporter and Analyst Philippe Roos. Now, in this report, Philippe, you analyse the cost of generating electricity, also known as the Levelised Cost of Energy, or LCOE, and for both conventional and renewable forms of power generation, up, up, up to 2050, isn't it? But what are the big trends you've seen? At today's natural gas prices, which are very low, combined cycle gas turbines, or CCGTs, are again the cheapest technology for new power generation almost everywhere in the world. It's a position they had lost uh, a couple of years ago. But onshore wind is still cheaper than gas in Europe. And uh, most importantly, probably, uh, long-term trends have not significantly changed from from last year or from two years ago, despite the COVID-19 and the oil crisis. Uh, If you take the US, for example, gas is now expected to be displaced by onshore wind in 2029 instead of 2028, as predicted last year, and by solar photovoltaic or solar PV in 2028 instead of 2027. So it's not a big difference. In Europe, PV reached parity with gas in 2018, is now again behind CCGT, but PV should display CCGT again next year, according to the data. Another example is offshore wind, which was prohibitively expensive less than 10 years ago, and it's now increasingly competitive, and it's expected to beat gas in Europe by the early 2030s, even in very average locations. Uh, this being said, it would be a bit more difficult for onshore wind in the US, where competitiveness is expected to take perhaps an extra 10 years or so f- uh, compared to Europe. Now, the, the, the falling cost of solar has been a big driver for, for PV. But I mean, how much lower can, can the prices go? It can go lower. The, the cost of PV crumbled by almost 90%, 9-0, between 20, 2008 and uh, 2020. And today, uh, where they are now at just under $60 per megawatt hour, uh, and sometimes much less, down from almost $500 per megawatt hour in average uh, European and uh, US sunlight conditions. And it could fall by another 30% within the next 10 years and by approximately 60% by 2050 to reach just under $25 per megawatt hour. That would be a huge minus 95% from from 2008. And $25, it's what a super efficient CCGT pays just for fuel with natural gas at $4 per million BTU. And so that's just for fuel, not taking into account operation costs, capital costs, etc. So it's very cheap. Indeed, indeed. And those low costs you mentioned, I mean, haven't we already seen several projects awarded at that kind of level or even lower? Yes, indeed. For example, in the Middle East, we've seen uh, we've seen $28 per megawatt hour in Egypt and Jordan. We've seen $23 in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we've seen $17 in Dubai and a recent uh, record low $13.5 per megawatt hour in Abu Dhabi for a two gigawatt project. Even in Europe, we've seen uh, projects recently awarded at around $17 per megawatt hour in Portugal. So yes, we are seeing very cheap prices. But I suppose, I mean, those are great locations for, for solar. I mean, you'd expect to find the most competitive pricing there. Yes, yeah. Those prices result from 
very favorable sunlight conditions. They also result from competitive financing conditions, and they're also partly based on the expectation of future low equipment costs. And this is based on the fact that projects take some time to be developed and built, and the fairly reasonable assumptions that prices will continue to drop. So so what's driving those falling prices? Uh, For PV, the main drivers of cost reductions are manufacturing scale, so economies of scale, and also improved sunlight conversion efficiency, so the amount of sunlight which is converted into electricity. But as I said, PV and indeed other renewable energies also depend a lot on financing conditions because they are very capital intensive. If you take onshore wind, for example... Costs uh, it currently costs an average of around fifty five dollars per megawatt hour, and out of these fifty five dollars, only twenty five percent are operating costs, and seventy five percent are capital costs. And quite strikingly, less than half of these seventy five percent are to actually build the plant and the other half are to remunerate uh, lenders and owners. So this remuneration is a, is a very key parameter. If you compare with a CCGT in Europe, a new CCGT will generate for almost the same $55 per, per megawatt hour. But instead of being 20, 25% for operations and 75% for capital, it's only 30% for capital and uh, 70% for gas, carbon, and operations and maintenance. Gas itself is accounts for 45% approximately of the LCOE. Carbon is substantial at around 15%, and you have about 10% for operation and maintenance. So, I mean, on the question of capital, I mean, in the report, you use kind of a quite conservative 6% kind of post-taxed weighted average cost of capital or WAC for a solar PV. But, but what kind of things would you see if that came down? Yeah, the the 6% you mentioned is a bit conservative for renewable projects. And if one were to look at uh, a 3% WAC instead of 6%, uh, which is common in Western Europe, it would show that a standard European or US uh, PV plant would generate at around $40 per megawatt hour instead of the 60 I mentioned before. Uh, and if you take the same cheap WAC, you combine it with twice the European sunlight, which is what you find in the, in the Middle East, and also slightly discounted solar panels, which you can find if you build very big projects. It brings LCOEs down to the levels we, we've actually seen in the Middle East, I mentioned before, at $20 per megawatt hour or even, or even below. Uh, at such low prices, PV is more competitive than oil and gas, even against fully depreci- depreciated plants. And even at, which is more, even more surprising, I found even at current low fuel prices, uh, a typical all-fired power plant, for example, pays about $45 per megawatt hour just for fuel at, with oil at $30 per barrel. And if you take gas at $2 per MBTU, an open cycle gas turbine uh, will pay $25 just for fuel and uh, operating costs. So that's that's more than the $20 or, or less that we've uh, that I've mentioned a couple of times already. So it's again, it's very, very cheap. Indeed. And I suppose attitudes towards renewables in general have kind of changed considerably, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, uh, if you look at real life financial con- financial financing conditions, they used to favor. Uh, I mean, bankers and lenders used to favor fossil fuel technologies just a few years ago. 
because those technologies were considered more mature and less exposed to unstable regulation, to unstable subsidy schemes. Uh, but now renewable projects are cheaper to finance than conventional ones because the technology has mat matured and because they are not exposed to commodity price risk, to rising carbon prices and to future climate regulations. And for example, in a recent paper, uh, researchers from the University of Graz in uh, Austria found WACs currently around 3.5% for solar PV and 5% for wind in Western Europe compared to 11%, so two to three times uh, more for fossil fuel and nuclear. Uh, similarly, uh, 10 years ago, banks were quite reluctant to fund offshore wind uh, because it was quite expensive and risky. But now debt financing is easily found for, for those projects, provided they have power purchase agreements. So what does all of this mean for project developers in kind of practical terms? Well, practically, if, you, if we go back to the offshore wind, uh, in a recent report, the International Energy Agency, the IEA, uh, found that the average WAC for the top five offshore wind operators in Europe has been divided by two, has dropped from 8% in the mid-2010s, uh, so about five years ago, to 4% now. And with a, such a low WAC, Instead of the standard 6% I mentioned before in, the, in our data, that would apply to projects mostly relying on, on wholesale projects. But if, we, if you take the low WAC with a project with a PPA, with a power purchase agreement, the calculation leads to, a, to an LCOE of around $85 per megawatt hour instead of around 100 And that would drop to around 65 with capital costs 20% uh, lower than today and slightly longer hour, hours of operations which we believe will be achieved just a few years from now. And is that expectation having any kind of impact now? Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned we mentioned before the the, the wind the solar projects, which which are already at which can be already be seen with prices as low as what we predict for 10, 20 years from now. For offshore wind, we've seen tenders in northern Europe resulting in winning bids at between $55 and $75 per megawatt hours per megawatt hour and projects targeting around $50 uh, per megawatt hour by 2025 have been awarded in the UK recently based on the same kind of factors as I mentioned before, such as anticipations of uh, cheap financing and and cheaper technology. And if you look at the technology, a big chunk of the future cost savings is expected to come from the increased increased size of turbines. Uh, now we have a, an eight megawatt class, uh, which is already a, a huge machine, which which will be replaced uh, for offshore wind project by machines around 10, 12 uh, megawatt in uh, in the near future, and slightly later by 15 to 20 megawatts. So two to three times the, the current size. Bigger machines allow lower cost of construction, operation, and maintenance. They also, have, they also are taller, uh, which means they can harvest stronger winds and more stable winds uh, further above the sea level. Yeah, and onto that issue, I mean, what about things like load factors? I mean, the number of hours a plant operates over a year. Well, they also obviously play a key role in LCOE calculation, basically because longer hours of operation allow fixed costs, uh, notably capital costs, to be allocated over more megawatt hours. Assuming, for example, as in the data that a CCGT is running at 60% load factor, 
its LCOE comes at $37 per megawatt hour in the US, which is very low, and $56 in Europe, which is fairly competitive too. But uh, real-life conditions are, are quite often less favorable. Uh, on average, for example, CCGTs in the US have been used at 57% of their capacity last year, which is very close to the 60% I mentioned before. But that load factor only reached 20% in Germany last year. And if you use the model's data for capital, fuel, operating, and carbon costs, this translates into German CCGTs generating at 97 almost $100 per megawatt hour instead of the standard 56, so almost twice the, the standard cost and about three times the, the, the cost in the U.S. Interesting. Now, I suppose for kind of renewable technologies, I mean, including hydro, hydropower, there, there are a lot of site-specific conditions. Now, presumably that'll have an impact on the LCOEs, the quality of the resource. Yes, indeed. And so all, all the all the LCOE we, we, I've mentioned before are, are average LCOEs and the, the, the real life conditions can be very different on both sides. Uh, for example, in the US, the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory recently found in a study that load factors in uh, over 500 uh, PV projects operating in the US range from 12%, which is pretty low, to 35%, which is pretty high for a solar project. And that mostly depends on location. And if you take those numbers, combine them with uh, current PV investment costs, which is just over $1,000 per kilowatt in the US and Europe. If you use our standard WAC of 6%, that translates into LCOE ranging from $35 per megawatt hour to over $100 per megawatt hour. Another example is if you take the official statistics in Denmark, they show that load factors for onshore wind farm range from around 15.15 to 50.50. That's a wide range. And again, if you translate that using the investment cost, WAC, and all the, the assumption we have in the model, that translates into LCOEs ranging from approximately $40 per megawatt hour to almost $140 per megawatt hour. So it's very site dependent. Uh, and what about hydropower? I mean, that's particularly site dependent. It is site dependent. Uh, in theory, in most cases, uh, large hydropower is usually the cheapest option for new power because uh, obviously water is free. Uh, and on top of that, dams can, can, can last many decades without many major revamping. Uh, the problem is that uh, there are very few undeveloped sites in uh, OECD countries in Europe or in the US. Uh, now there are plenty of sites in uh, in China, India, Russia, or, or Sub-Saharan Africa. The problem in Sub-Saharan Africa, we have a lot of very good sites, but uh, hydropower is very, very expensive to build, and uh, that's a that's a commodity that's not abundant in Africa, unfortunately. Indeed, and I mean hydro has played a role in in, in energy storage or pump pump storage facilities, but more broadly, I mean energy storage is going to play a big, much bigger role in the transition, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Uh, experts, I mean, it's, we're talking about battery storage, but it's going to play a, a, a bigger role. Uh, experts predict that battery storage will make the task 
even easier for PV and other intermittent renewables because they will allow a better supply-demand match and uh, longer hours of operations. I mean, we will be able to use uh, solar electricity at night, for example, when uh, when there's no sunlight. Uh, we estimate that by 2050, the cost of battery storage could fall by 70%, uh, 7-0, to around $40 per megawatt hour of uh, electricity stored, down from today around $150 per megawatt hour. And if you combine that with the expected 60% fall in PV costs over the same the same period of, that I mentioned before, stored solar electricity would displace gas peakers around 2030 in Europe and a few years later in, uh, in the US. Now, what about carbon prices? I mean, this is another important factor, but, but not very predictable. I mean, how do these affect future LCOEs? CO2 prices will, of course, impact how quickly renewables displace gas, uh, but that that trend would hardly change with lower, lower than expected or even no carbon pricing. Our projections incorporate carbon prices which are derived from the IES base case scenario. They assume an increase from today 20-ish dollars per tonne of CO2 in Europe to 53 in dollars per ton in 2050, which is relatively modest. And in the US from zero now at the national level to the same 53 in 2050. With those prices, the calculations uh, show that PV in the US would become more competitive than CCGTs in 2028. Without a carbon price, it would be 2031. So a small three-year difference. And on the Conversely, with the IES Paris compliant uh, carbon prices at $100 per, per ton in 2030 and $140 in 2040, PV would become more competitive against CCGTs in 2023, which is just five years before 28, uh, 2028 in the reference scenario. So again, it's a relatively small difference. And what about carbon capture? I mean, its supporters have long called for a robust carbon price to support this technology. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the main benefit of higher carbon prices would be for for, for CCS, for carbon capture and storage. Our data suggests that it would need about $95 per tonne of carbon with today's technology and fuel price conditions to displace unabated coal, so coal without CCS. And based on the expected cost and performance improvements uh, that we factor in, it would be around $90 in per ton of carbon in uh, of CO2 in 2030 and around $80 in 2050. Uh, the problem is that if, with an $80 per ton for, for carbon and around $2 to $3 per MBTU for coal, uh, as in our projections, that would make CCS competitive against uh, conventional coal. But even an existed fully depreciated coal plant retrofitted with CCS would generate at somewhere between $80 and $95 per megawatt hour in 2050, which is rather expensive if you compare it with PV as at 25 as I mentioned before, or onshore wind at around 60 or a PV with battery at around 65. So the conclusion is that it makes it rather unlikely for coal to even to ever regain market share for new capacity, but it would probably allow some retrofitted coal plants to survive. So a very different energy system beckons. Thank you, Philippe, for sharing that analysis with us. Thank you.
Now, the data are based on Energy Intelligence's proprietary LCOE model, and data with current regional analysis is published online each week. So it just leaves me to say thank you to everyone who listened to today's podcast, and we hope you can join us again for more insights on the energy transition. Thanks for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Please check back with us soon for our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com. 